The ancients used hyena's foot for childbirth and identified copper as a contraceptive by Lakshmi Ramgopal from Atlas Obscura. I'm Mike Delgadio. Watch any modern depiction of the Greeks and Romans on TV, and you'll see an endless montage of exciting sex, often involving scores of topless women and writhing orgies. Fun as these exaggerated portraits are, they tend to leave out the less glamorous aspects of consensual sex in the ancient world. In an era lacking in scientific knowledge, the ancients were on their own when it came to addressing sexual predicaments and unwanted pregnancies. Many methods were effective, some were not. Others were downright dangerous. What was it like to have sex in antiquity? For some people, it meant dealing with sexually transmitted infections and the mockery they could evoke. Ancient authors didn't write about them often, but when they did, the context was often malicious humor. Take anogenital warts, which Roman poets called figs. In one poem, Marshall describes a man named Labienus, who became the unlucky possessor of an entire orchard of fig trees. Their association with promiscuity led Marshall to label STIs under the umbrella category of indecens morbus, or unseemly disease. Although ancient Romans knew little about infectious diseases, Marshall's poem about Labienus suggests they saw a connection between sex and illness. According to the Roman poet Catullus, even body odor could be transmitted sexually. He informs a man named Rufus that women refused to have sex with him for fear of catching his vile scent, which Catullus calls a plague, pestis in Latin. This wasn't entirely a joke, since the Romans believed smells could be vectors for infectious disease. In his History of Rome, the writer Livy describes a plague spreading to the living through the smell of decomposing bodies of its victims. Gonorrhea, or at least a disease with that name, shows up in antiquity too. The Greek physician Galen was the first to coin the word using the Greek terms for seed and run. Writing in the 2nd century CE, he describes the condition as an unwanted and involuntary secretion of semen that occurred when the patient didn't have an erection. A similar description comes from Galen's contemporary Arateus, a Greek physician from Cappadocia. That runoff, he says, is thin, icy, pale, and sterile. Modern physicians doubt this condition was what we now call gonorrhea. Still, it seems clear that regardless of how it was contracted, it would hinder future attempts at sex. Nor, says Arateus, was the problem limited to men. Women could contract it too, and if they did, they suffered from what he called an indecent desire for intercourse with men. For most people in the ancient world, having children was a major reason to have sex, since children provided status in Greek and Roman society and heirs to personal assets. For some adults, pregnancy was also an opportunity for fun on the side. The Roman author Macrobius claims that Julia, the daughter of the emperor Augustus, used to joke that pregnancy was what allowed her to not only sleep with men other than her husband, but lots of them. Of course, bearing children could be deadly to women in antiquity, given the state of medicine at that time. Pliny the Elder's descriptions of care for women giving birth does not inspire confidence in ancient obstetrics. He claims that girls are more difficult to deliver than boys. To speed up delivery, he suggests placing the right foot of a hyena on the woman, or having her drink a mixture of goose semen and water. As a painkiller, he recommends drinking a concoction of sow's dung mixed with honey wine. As desirable as children were, they were also expensive. So while most people wanted children, many would have used contraceptives to avoid having too many. Women engaged in sex work likely would have tried to avoid having children altogether. Many of their methods are lost to us now, as they were likely transmitted orally. 
But ancient medical treatises devote a lot of space to birth control and abortion, so we know that women had options to choose from. Some of these methods may have been more effective than others. In his treatise On the Nature of Women, famed Greek physician Hippocrates suggested an oral contraceptive containing moistened copper ore. Consuming copper would not have been an effective abortifacient, but his advice does suggest that the Greeks were vaguely aware of the link between copper and contraception that the modern hormone-free IUD relies on. Additional helpful advice comes from Seranus, a Greek author from southwestern Turkey who lived under the Roman Empire in the 2nd century. Seranus was so interested in women's health that he wrote a treatise called Gynecology, which covers matters like who makes the best midwife, quiet women with extensive medical knowledge, and whether lifelong virginity is healthy. It isn't. His recipes for oral contraceptives include ingredients like rue and pomegranate peel, which are verified abortifacients.